Korean Yoohoo, we are talking about the Stargate SG-1 episode Frozen from Season 6, written by Robert C. Cooper, directed by Martin Wood, who does a really good job of keeping this one moving. This episode, it moves right along really, really well, very pacey, and considering that nothing happens in this episode, it's all the more remarkable that he's managed to, um, to make it a really interesting and uh, watchable episode. Um, it's all, yeah, this one's just all talking, all learning about backstory and ancient stuff and people making theories about what's happening, who she is, and yada yada yada, and uh, no action at all. <laughs> and yet, with the classic Martin Wood moving cameras around offices and briefing rooms and doctor rooms, always moving and stuff, you know, an example would be um, when Janet Fraser says, okay, we're picking them up. Ready? Three, two, one, lift. But instead of showing us the lift, we show Martin Wood uh, cuts to showing when they're dropping that person after afterwards. You know, he's like snipping here, cutting there to make the action roll right along. So, yeah, I'm, I quite enjoyed this one. <laughs> um... What can I... Well, let's just go through the plot points, shall we? Um, starts off at White Rock Research Station, a dome house, brum, 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 uh, snowmobile thingy, and there's all the talk about how the, the Antarctic Gate is the oldest one in the entire gate network, and, and something that we saw, I think, I'm, I'm almost certain we saw this, off, we did not see this, it was off-screen, the this research station has been examining the site where the Antarctic Gate was found, and they've found two Jafar. Jesus! So I guess that was like um, maybe not like uh, no. Hang on. Oh my gosh! See, it's times like this, ladies and germs, um, <laughs> when I start getting my gate mechanics and wormhole physics and DHD properties all mixed up. So in the Giza gate, which was buried, when they dug that up in the movie, if you've seen the extended edition, that is, there are some Jafar wearing the full headgear that are petrified in rock. Now, I thought that happened because they got shot through the wormhole and immediately turned into rock, because that's all that was there. But I've since learned, <laughs> it would be more correct, um, to say that the, the wormhole, for some reason, was... F oh my god, I just thought of something else, and now I might have to stop and look it up online, and go to the wisdom of the, the nerds. Did those Jafar come through the wormhole? Were they sent as as scouts by Ra in the original film? Or, because the gate was buried, the wormhole couldn't form. Now this is my understanding, I believe that's correct. Buried in the desert of Giza, did the people who rose up and revolted against Ra, did they kill those Jafar and throw them in the grave with the Stargate and bury them there? Is that actually what happened? Oh my god. That changes everything. But anyway, to get back to this episode, <laughs> I really get confused on the whole how does a wormhole form thing. 
These two, Jafar, were in the ice down there. I guess they were sent as scouts and then simply froze to death. Um, we have the greetings, Doctor, 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 which reminded me <laughs> of this funny moment from the Muppets movie. Doctor? 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 Oh, Doctor! 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 Just a couple of doctors. Doctors in the hallway. And there's more hilarity because Jonas has still been watching the Weather Channel. <laughs> Love that running joke, that's great. Oh, and the, the commentary beforehand in the previous episode. They lied! Jonas wasn't eating anything in this episode. That wasn't a running joke at all. <laughs> um, Dr. Fraser is here to give us all the info, and it's been ages since we've seen Dr. Fraser. She barely showed up in season five at all, except at the end there, to deal with Daniel. Um, who else is here? Teal'c is out, running around the world, so he's wearing a hat, so I'm giving it 10 points. He's dressing up as a human, though these people at the research station are all privy to the Stargate program and the Ancients and everything and the Jaffa, so he doesn't need to, but I'm sure his transport team, the the plane that dropped them off there and stuff, <laughs> they don't know about it, they're just the taxi drivers, so he did need to dress up for them. And besides which, I'm sure this episode was just Christopher Judge taking uh, the opportunity to have a week of not having to put his his tattoo on his forehead <laughs> if his character is just wearing a beanie all week because it's cold in this episode. <laughs> but anyway, I'm giving it the 10 points. Um, Tilk, very superfluous in this episode. Uh, he This is one of those ones where he could very easily have been away on a different planet. Um, yada, yada, yada. You know, his lines are all just filling in the gaps in the conversation, just finishing someone else's very obvious sentence, you know, so that everyone in the room has some lines. It's one of those episodes for Teal. <laughs> there must be an eternal struggle for those guys. And besides which, um, something I know that's coming up in this season, season six, is there's going to be a little bit of a reckoning with the Tok'ra and the Free Jafar army they both want to be the big ally of Earth, and they're kind of... They don't get along very well. That's something they develop later in the season. They could have set it up here by saying Tilk was away, and then once Colonel O'Neill gets sick and we go back to the SGC, Tilk arrives and says, why not implant him with a symbiote and make him a strong Jafar? And then that idea could be in competition with the Tok'ra man, who says, why not implant him with a Tok'ra? Um, neither of which of these ideas Colonel O'Neill would ever go for, of course, over his dead body. <laughs> I don't know, that's just me spitballing. Uh, what am I, a screenwriter? Uh, anyway, um, I gave the episode 50 points because don't forgot to tape The Simpsons. Colonel O'Neill makes a reference to The Simpsons. It's a seldom struck jackpot there for the old Cree Yoohoo points. KY bucks. <laughs> Nothing to do with KY jelly. Um, I gave it one point here because apparently the frozen lady in the ice, Dr. Fraser says, she's alive and she, there's, uh, no, she says, there's nothing wrong with her. <laughs> there's nothing physically wrong with her. All her cells are perfectly intact. So that's a one point thing there. Um, and then we go through the thing where she, you know, the whole drama from defrosting her 
all through the medical procedure, like, do this, do this, her signs are showing this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. I must congratulate Martinwood for zipping through this bit in ten short minutes into the episode, and the lady has come back to life, and we've got all of the information, and we're ready for the plot to start. You know, if this was, dare I say it, Peter West or something directing this episode, it would be, like, very plodding and... <laughs> not as good and take longer and you know but man would this is the the subtle genius of his work is uh s snipping that right along to the important part um jack o'neill says she's not a snakehead right <laughs> i love that and that is again i've i've been saying this for the last few podcasts season six is different they're done with snakeheads. She's not a snakehead. That's not the plot of this TV show anymore. We're not running around finding snakeheads who are evil. This season is all about dealing with the ancient stuff, the mythology, unraveling the mystery of this race of humans who apparently, we now know, looked exactly like these humans, but left the galaxy a million fucking years ago or something when humans weren't thought to exist. And I suppose they... What does that mean? They, uh... The implications of that are staggering and frankly make no sense. So what? Life evolved... Uh, human life evolved again after they left? Or presumably the old ancients, the old humans, seeded the Earth again from human stock in other on other planets, right? That's what... They didn't say that in the episode, but I think that's what they mean. <laughs> I don't... I don't think that humanity evolved the m most amazing civilization of ancients who had all this amazing power and technology and otherworldly supernatural properties, and then is doing it again with us. <laughs> with the almost self-same physiology. Like, all of the... <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, and the uh, the other implications is like, well, what about the fossil record of like the the in between, you know, mammals, primates, <laughs> proto humans. Ugh, not very well thought through. I think that this aspect of the the backstory that they've shuffled in here, um, but it's fine. We gloss over it and we move on. <laughs> we accept these things. Jonas. Jonas is the, the language expert, the talking expert, and he gets to doing all the talking to uh, a... Aaliyah? <laughs> I don't know her name. Um, Frozen Girl. We, might as, we may as well call her, call her Elsa at this point. Um... Jonas, of course, is taking his mask off. Very dumb. And it really struck me how this episode is all about viruses and contagions and quarantines. And they do all the wrong things. It was really funny that clearly, like, at this point, we all know so much more about <laughs> preventing the transmission of pathogens and contagions than any of these characters do, really. <laughs> all of the shit we have been through. Uh, um, like, for example, they don't wear any protective gear 
because Dr. Fraser says, we've all been exposed. We've probably all been exposed. Well, that doesn't mean you should not be wearing a mask that, you know, because you can still prevent like a little bit of buildup of the viral load. Am I correct on that? Actually, you know what? I've changed my mind. I'm hopping out of this and I've decided not to give misinformation and unsubstantiated <laughs> science over the internet. Actually, that's not something I want to do. <laughs> I'm going to back that one right up out of there. Let's go on with Stargate. Now, I was thinking about, is this episode a reference to a movie, Ice Station Zebra, which would also feature Kurt Russell, which would be, would be an interesting connection to the Stargate movie. The thing is, I haven't seen Ice Station Zebra, so I don't know if it's a reference. Nothing came up on the wiki page that I read. But isn't that what happens there? There's people in an Arctic station and then something spreads and infects them all and they go crazy and murderous one by one? I don't actually know. <laughs> I'm talking out my butt here. Um, Frozen Lady Elsa loves eating the food that Jonas brings, but apparently this advanced race of ancients had never used a utensil before. They ate everything with their hands. This is ridiculous, because plainly the Stargate took tools to build. <laughs> anyway, it's finally explained. She's a living ancient. Um, mm. Now then, I've just realized I may have spoiled things deeply with my interchanging of words, because I've been calling Daniel Jackson and Oma Dasala ancients, when what I meant to say is they are ascended, and this lady, ice lady here, is an ancient, but she's not ascended. Now, I've been mixing up those two words that both start with the letter A, and I should not have been doing that. Um, my bad if that's got you confused. Mind you, then at this point, is there really <laughs> anyone who's going to be so devastated by this? You can watch this at your own pace and read all about it. And we're in the year of our Lord 2022, where, you know, we're in a post-information society. We're suffocating. We're drowning in information of all kinds. Yes. <laughs> I, hopefully my spoiler has not rocked your world. Um, I d yeah. So, do, 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 do. I gave it five points as an obvious reference here when O'Neill and Teal'c, they have to go out in the snow to find the doctors who have not returned and darkness is closing in, the temperature's going to drop and we're going to have to cut open a tauntaun. <laughs> It's obviously a reference to the ice planet Hoth from Empire Strikes Back. Um, I also gave it five points here because Jonas is talking with the lady and she understands and he says, You're a quicker study than I am. <laughs> he loves to bring that up. Um, oh, and just to circle back to this point that I had written down, Jonas is the one doing all the talking in this episode, communicating with the alien being from another time and situation. That makes no sense at all, because they haven't even dealt with all of the the stuff, you know, the thing that we all just turn a blind eye to. Jonas is not from planet Earth. He doesn't, you know, his his language evolved very differently. It's, it's a miracle, it really is a miracle that his planet spoke American English. 
and they haven't addressed that, so therefore I think they're a little bit, you know, a bit cheeky for him to be the, the expert on the English language when communicating to aliens. Um, well, and forgive me for calling the ice lady an alien, she, for all intents and purposes, she is an alien life form, alien to anything we've known or encountered before, and she doesn't understand our culture, and she's not steeped in the ways of eating food with utensils. Um, they locate this doctor guy, and he's got bad frostbite, and she heals him. Um, I was not expecting that. I was expecting them to die. I thought they were red shirts. <laughs> Um, I was mistaken. Anyway, she runs away and heals people, but uh, there's a push and swell on Colonel Neil because he's burning up and he can't be healed. One more point for that, and then one more point for the front gate stock footage, guys, because we've transferred everything back to the SGC. This episode is fully on Earth, one of the few that takes place completely on planet Earth. Um, anyway, she says sorry and she dies. She nopes right out of there. Um, she is seen again in Stargate Atlantis, the prologue, and apparently she plays a different character in Stargate Universe. Um, but don't worry, this ancient virus thing that she carried will definitely be featured again and will return as a massive plot point around about season 9 and 10. Um... Yeah, I really love this bit here when uh, the Tokra comes in and says, uh, <laughs> Are you sure Jack O'Deal would choose death over blending? And Tilk takes a deep breath and sort of cocks an eyebrow and gives this look like, I believe this is the case. <laughs> He's about to say something in defense of O'Neill. Um, that he gets interrupted. <laughs> Which is a great way to do it. It's one of those things better left unsaid. Although it would be kind of cool to hear what Tilk said. Um, the Tok'ra... I mean, in the classic Tok'ra slimy way, they're not really concerned about Colonel Jack O'Neill living. They really want the symbiote to talk. And if the intel is so valuable, well, why doesn't one of the Tok'ra people just, uh, swap? Now, there's another thing. Speaking of me, just, um... <laughs> rewriting the entire backstory of Stargate SG-1 and the canon and everything. How come the Tok'ra symbiotes don't hot-swap from human bodies? If there's not enough hosts, but they do have symbiote tanks that, that you know, like fish bowls that they can live in occasionally, well then, just... Why don't you live there and use the humans as they become available and then swap around? You know, fair is fair. Anyway, O'Neill doesn't want to be implanted, but uh, Sam talks him into it. Now then, this, despite me saying that I'm more familiar with season six and I love it the best, this came as a total shock to me that Colonel O'Neill is about to get implanted and goes through with it. Um in the very next episode. Because afterwards, there's no indication, there's no talk, there's no plot that points that about how Colonel O'Neill would then have the, um, the blood markers, the memories implanted, but, you know, all the stuff that Sam Carter has from Jolinar, and yada, yada, yada. I don't believe Colonel O'Neill Colonel O'Neill gets that. 
Um, and I'm just, I apparently have a blank spot in my memory here about why that is. Um, and the only explanation can be, and I'm, this does ring a dim bell in my memory, um, Colonel O'Neill's Tok'ra Kanan is actually a bit of a sneaky Tok'ra, and he, um, he leaves O'Neill without doing any of that. He, he kind of uses O'Neill's body and possesses him just a little bit, you know, in a nice Tok'ra way, because they're not like the gold, um, and doesn't share the genetic memories and the total blending with O'Neill. Um, so I think the Tok'ra chooses not to do that, um, which of course raises the question, why did Jolinar choose to do that if Jolinar was such an awesome Tok'ra back in season two? My God. Anyway, Sam talks him into it, and... Mm, times have moved on, you know, this was, uh, do you remember the, the episode 100 Days? When, back in season three, God, when, you know, she was distraught that he was gonna die on, alone on this other planet, she had to get to him, she misses him, and she takes like three months to figure out <laughs> this crazy plan to get the Stargate working. <laughs> <laughs> only to find, you know, she's heartbroken that he's shacked up with this other woman. Here, she's, it's, you know, this is a pacey, choppy, Martin Wood episode where she says, please, sir, it's our only hope. And he goes, okay. And she goes, sweet. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> um, and then just at the end here, we got five more points because in the background, out of focus, is Gary Jones in the episode. You can't actually see him, but you can make out his stature. He's a shortish, shortish, bald man <laughs> in a blue suit, standing at the desk that operates the Stargate. So anyway, surprise, it's the end. Now, because I was so invested in Martin Wood's sort of, you know, good, great pacing. Sorry if you can hear construction outside my window here. I hope that's not too distracting. Certainly distracting for me. Because I was I was really surprised because of the directing. It was like, okay, here's the story. We're moving along. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to save him. We've got to go here. We're loading him into the Stargate. Uh, oh, it's over. <laughs> you know? So, just, yeah, I'm just so impressed with the directing in this episode. Not necessarily the writing, because you can interpret the writing many ways. But, yeah, and the, I suppose I'm talking about the editing the pace and it creates this this sense of no closure and I'm so ready to get into the next episode you know it's it's lurching from um you know one crisis to the next <laughs> this, this is really what the Stargate program has become like there's no um putting a nice bow on it there's no uh well we defeated Apophis and now we're going to stand here and look at a star explode and smile to ourselves and the music will fade out. Yeah. This is tune in next time to see what happens to the masked division or masked man Batman. It is oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's like this is a uh this was before Game of Thrones or or Breaking Bad or um you know, so it's not drawing from that, but it's uh, in that style where it's a total cliffhanger and the story really cuts off right in the good bit. <laughs> Um, so that's a total of 78 points for this episode. That's pretty dang high. It's not quite, uh, in the top 10 of all time. You have to be tangent at 87 points to get into the top 10 at this point. 
Um, but really high up there again because of that 50 points for the Simpsons reference. Um, in the commentary, I have, I've only watched five or ten minutes of it actually. I just uh, wanted to get this done. Um, but I noticed um, <laughs> the first thing they talk about is the video chat between Samantha Carter and this other lady doctor, lady scientist. And the director and the visual effects guy are arguing about should they be looking at the screen or the camera. But, of course, this was made in like 2001 or 2002 even, where video chat didn't exist because everyone had a 56k dial-up modem. <laughs> it didn't really work. But like, this is another example of how we now, in the... The, the era of Zoom meetings and staying home in lockdowns. We know so much more about <laughs> what a video chat is and the ways you can do it and the, the indeed the pitfalls of it. You know, think about all those headlines that you read in the news. Teacher fired for accidentally sharing porn video screen with his students or something, you know, things like that that have occurred. I think a British politician had to resign for a similar thing. Anyway... We know more about video chat nowadays after coronavirus, and we certainly know more about viruses. And my last note is I'm, I've definitely lost track of DHDs. I was just, because of this episode, I was flicking through the wiki page. <laughs> which Stargate is which? Which one was discovered where? Which DHD was discovered where on Earth and goes with which Stargate? And I'm so lost. And that doesn't help that they call one of them the Alpha Gate and one of them the Beta Gate. But the Beta Gate is the Antarctic Gate, which starts with the letter A. So in my mind, it gets very confused. <laughs> Apparently, this week, I have a big confusion with words starting with the letter A. Seems to be the theme. Um, so let's, let me just get it out, lay this bag of Stargate snakes out straight right now. <laughs> the Alpha Gate is the Giza Gate from the film, which was used right up until the episode Redemption Part 2, where it was destroyed in the Anubis explosion. The DHD for that one, now let me get this clear in my mind, it was captured by the Germans and stolen by the Russians when they conquered Berlin in the end of World War II. That's why um, Samantha Carter had to MacGyver a supercomputer to make a dialing program. The Antarctic Gate is one of the oldest. The DHD that was with it was there. Remember, we saw it, but it was out of power. Um and kind of messed up, and Carter was trying to fix it. That gate came out of storage, was hidden in Area 51, along with the DHD, and uh, Colonel Mayborn and his NID cronies secretly used it and used up the DHD, the last of its power, in the illegal missions, the secret missions they did. Then what happened? Um, the gate... The first gate... Now, see, I'm all confused. One of them got beamed up into Thor's ship. <laughs> 
uh, and then crashed into the ocean, which the Russians secretly recovered. And then they had the Giza DHD already and paired them up and were beginning to run their own program. Then in the episode 48 hours, we bought the DHD back and exploded it in the process of extracting Tilt from the Gates buffer. Now Earth has one the Giza one broken Giza DHD and one unpowered Antarctic DHD. <laughs> so in in effect we have no DHDs that work. Oh my god, and I can't remember which gate was beamed out and therefore and of course in the episode Redemption the other one was bought back from the Russians. So I'm just, I'm lost, and I fear that from this moment on, I will never regain a sense of control over this, this uh, backstory. So better leave it there. Thanks for joining me. Um, this little, little escapade of Colonel O'Neill is going to be fun for the next couple of episodes. Um, there's certainly a lot of fallout from this episode. You know, this one was the, was actually like all the exposition and setup for a, a few episode arc, which is going to be really cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for joining me. You can talk to me at CreeYuhu on Twitter or CreeYuhu at gmail.com. And of course, all of the crazy scoreboard stuff is on the website CreeYuhu.wordpress.com. See you there.